Good morning. Hope all of you folks are doing well. I know some of you aren't, that you're here anyway, and that's great because you might as well be not feeling so well being here as well as being at home not feeling well. It's a lot better to be here. So it'll be nice to, to uh, have you under any circumstances. Of course, the Lord, I'm sure, will bless you for your presence. He's the only one who really matters in all of this anyway. I myself, like some of you, have not been feeling quite as well as I'd like to. I've had a cold for, for probably a little bit of the last week, perhaps, but the last three days especially so. But the Lord blessed me waking up this morning with not, uh, not feeling too bad, feeling a lot better, in fact, having a good night's sleep. But I noticed just before getting up, it seems like my nose is, is starting to run on me. So I may, you, I may have to take a break and just honk on my nose every once in a while, but other than that, I think I'll, I'll be doing okay. We are studying, of course, as you've noticed, we just finished reading Philippians 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. And I, I just really can't help but just love the book of Philippians. And I hope you folks have, have fallen in, in, in love with it as well. Paul, as he writes to them, he writes to them and wears many hats. I think you'll find out today he's wearing a different hat than, than, he, that he, has, uh, than he has worn before. I'm back in a Daryville. I'm on the wrong side of the, the monitor. supposed to be over here. But anyway, uh, I may never get used to, to different circumstances. But anyhow, uh, when, I, when I saw this on the net, winners and wieners, you know me, I've always liked playing with words. There's just one letter difference between the two. But you can see it's a dog race. And what they were doing is they were giving away, I looked it up, they were giving away free wieners to anybody who would show up. So the implications is if you'll show up, you'll get free wieners, and you'll be a winner. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, know, you might get some free wieners, but that's about the only thing you're going to get that's free. But the Apostle Paul, today as we look at today's lesson, it's almost like wieners and winners. There's, in the game of life, in the great cosmic game of life, you're either going to be a wiener or a winner. That's the way I took it. You're either going to be a loser or you're going to be an eternal winner. And so the Apostle Paul, in today's lesson, what he does for us is he, he, he talks to us about what being a real winner is all about. Now, before we get ahead of this, I need to give you a little bit of background. It's amazing how when you study the historical as well as the biblical background of a passage, that that passage suddenly, it doesn't change the meaning. We still understand it on one level, but when you start understanding it on the level of what was historically going on at that time, then it starts having more meaning to us. And so when you go back 2,000 years ago in Philippi, you find out these people were crazy about sports. Are people crazy about sports today? They're people who miss worship services. They miss everything. Whatever, they'll do anything. They're crazy about sports. Their kids' sports, their sports. And, of course, I have to admit it. I like the kids and stuff like that. And, and I have to admit it would hurt me to have a little bit to get more uh, involved and, and, and get a little bit of exercise. And so the Lord wants us to do that as well. I'm not being overly critical by any means, but anytime anything takes over too much from the Lord, that is never going to be a good thing. It's always good to put the Lord first. At any rate, the Apostle Paul uses this thing, not in a negative way, but in a positive way, because people were sports crazy. They, they couldn't do this all day back there. They didn't have those little machines. They couldn't turn on TV. They couldn't, you know, fire up the Internet. They couldn't, all of that. They couldn't do that. 
And so they had one thing going for them. That's every four years they had the Olympics. And they would practice for that constantly, just constantly. They were practicing for it. They had gymnasiums, which meant a place that they were just virtually, and some people claim literally, the men by themselves, literally naked, just so that they could have every, that's, that's going a little far, you say. That's how far they were going. They were, just they were just really into winning one way or another. Now, if you were back there in Philippi and you got to go to the, to the Olympics, it wouldn't be that far to travel from Philippi down to Athens, as we'll notice in a moment. This is where you would probably walk through. You can see some people at the back there, so you get an idea. Now, you can tell from the columns that are missing, there's all kinds of things that are missing in this, but at least it gives you some kind of an idea of what it might be like. You're not really seeing how grandiose it was, though. But when you walked on the inside, you would take a seat right here inside the, the stadium. And if you had the big bucks or if you were very important, I understand, at least for a television special, where, where people studied how, that, how it worked, they had these huge... The way it was built, you know, you, you just weren't out in the open sky. If it rained or something, if you were important, that was all covered. All kinds of things were missing in these pictures, at least according to that one documentary that was trying to explain how that works. And so, so th this was really a big deal, just really an impressive thing. Now, when you look at the map, you find out, out that Philippi is up here at the top of the page, and Athens is here. And then Corinth is over here with that little piece of... with, with uh, with C here and C there and Corinth in between, the little isthmus there. Uh, and so the Corinthian games were referred to as the Isthmian games. And, uh, of course, Ephesus had their games, Philippi had their games, and everybody was getting ready. Everybody's competing. Do we ever have a problem with people saying, our team is better than your team? Well, that's the kind of thing that was going on in that day, too. Everybody thought of themselves as, as being more important in there. And, and even when you start looking at Philippi's uh, amphitheater, look at it, it's kind of impressive. It's kind of impressive. At least that's what it shows on the net that's supposed to be what it looks like in Philippi, if that's, the, if that's the right one. But the main thing for us to understand is that people were ever bit as sports-oriented in that day, and probably a great deal more, because that's all they had. They didn't have all the stuff that we have today. So this was really a big deal for these people. So how does Paul deal with that? It's th there's nothing inherently the matter with taking care of your body and getting in good shape or anything like that. And so Paul is not critical of that, but instead he uses what they would have known about the games to his advantage. And that's what we ought to do. We ought to use what people know and what they're doing. It might even be you know, things that we don't all agree with entirely, but yet at the same time we can learn, say things that, you know, see things that, that they are doing and, and make and relate that to what the Lord would have us to do. So Paul doesn't care if at the Olympics that everybody within the church is going to be some great winners or anything like that. That's not what he cares about. What he cares about is the game of life. The game of life. He wants us to be winners in eternity because that's really all that matters. Because if we find ourselves being winners, just in some, in some minor detail here in, in athletics, and find ourselves losing our soul, we've just lost everything that really matters in eternity. And so Paul begins talking to them just like a coach would talk, uh, talk to you. Do you remember your coach in high school? Or maybe you never made it to high school. I didn't make it to high school. I just, made it, I just, just 
grade eight mostly, uh, and then I ended up being in the band after that more so than I w was in the athletics. And so I'll tell you immediately, if I, I kind of mess things up a little bit here, it's because I never was that athletic. In fact, I do a good job of walking across the floor, not tripping up as Ray noticed one, one day, just, just walking across the floor. Since I've been here, I almost tripped and fell on my own nose. But Paul, he, he knew what he was talking about because in that day, they knew the Olympics. Everybody knew this. And he says, there are three things I want you to watch out for. He says, I want, to, want you to watch your goal, keep your eye on your goal. Number two, he says, I want you to watch your attitude if you're going to win in the game of life. And thirdly, watch your mentors. Now, I said mentors because all of a sudden as I was studying this this morning, Corey, I said, it's not talking about a mentor. It's talking about mentors. And so that's too late for Corey to change it. And so it's going to, on your paper, those of you who like to fill that out, make sure you've got an S on the end, end of mentor because it, you'll see when we look at the text, that's exactly what it's saying. These are the three things that we really have to watch if we're going to win in the game of life, make it to heaven, just to say it plainly. Just make it to heaven. That makes you the great cosmic winner if you've done that, and the, and the world's worst loser, no matter how rich or powerful or beautiful or whatever you happen to be, you're still the, just an absolute loser unless you are right with the Lord Jesus Christ. First thing you need to do then is watch your goal. If you want to win in the game of life, Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do. This must be the biggie for him. You know, of the three points, this must be the big one. He leads off with it, and he says, one thing I do. So this must be awfully important. But one thing I do, Coach Paul says, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That upward call is headed towards heaven. And he says, make sure that you keep your eyes on that goal. Now, how many times did your coach tell you, in one way or another, keep your eyes on, what, on the objective, keep your eyes on the goal, keep your eyes on the basket, whatever it might be. I, I know this much, that I, as I was, I had, I had, this is my big opportunity now. I was playing football, and it's in the eighth grade, and I, I still remember, you know, the way, the way our suits, I remember ev everything about the game. And I was pretty good at doing one thing and one thing alone. If I could kind of run out and button hook, if, if our quarterback could get it just a few feet and put it in my hands, I could run like a chicken. I tell you, nobody could catch me just about. That was the one thing I had going. And boy, was I motivated to run like a chicken too because I think there was at least a couple of the cheerleaders that outweighed me. So, so I, I really would put everything I could into running just as hard as I could. But there was just one problem. That was over towards the right when I caught it. I caught it and, and I was, I was going to be looking good as I was running. The cheerleaders off to the right were like here saying, go, Gannon, go. I even remember the uniforms that they were wearing. And boy, I thought, how? But all of a sudden, I did the same thing I did here, right? Except this time I tripped on my feet and fell on my face. Right there. No, I mean, I was way out ahead. I went from hero to zero right, right there. And I still don't remember what the goal looks like, but I remember what the cheerleaders looked like. I had my face. I was looking at the wrong place. Why was I not? And I'm sorry about that, Donna, but my mind was, <laughs> was in the wrong place altogether. 
But I learned my lesson. Well, not good enough. I've, I still haven't done anything athletically speaking. But I do know in reality, in, in what really matters in life, is that you've got to keep your eyes focused on what you really want to accomplish. What you really want to accomplish. How many times I've had conversations with people and say, now what do you really want? And these people have not thought it through what they really want. And when you finally get it, say, but, and you just keep saying over and over, but what do you really want? You find out their, their goals are a lot more noble than they realize. They're just not focusing on the goal of what they're really wanting to accomplish. They just forgot about the goal somewhere along the line. And whether you're looking at that in, in the business world or any other world, ac academic or, or even in, in athletics, you've got to keep your, your mind on the goal. And that's particularly true concerning keeping your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of the faith. Keeping your eyes on him. That's what it's all about. If you just remember that and that alone in this lesson, you, that's the entire summary of everything that we're going to say. Because when you keep your eyes on Jesus, what happens is he is the goal. Jesus is the goal. We want to be like him. We want to live like him. That's what heaven is. Heaven is to go home and be with Jesus and be like him and talk to him and be as rich as Jesus. I mean, we've got, just got, we've got it made when, we, when we're on the other side with the Lord. Whatever is his is ours. It's amazing that the scripture is so plain about that, but it's just literally true that God wants to bless us just that much. Keep your eyes on the goal. Don't let Satan cause you to get your eyes elsewhere. The Hebrew writer in this particular passage here is talking to a group of people who quit going to church and everything else, and he says to them, you know, stop forsaking the assembling yourselves together. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Get your eyes back on the goal. Because really, in, in eternity, what's all the rest of this stuff? As Paul has already said, it's just junk. It's just junk. All that really matters is Jesus. But also, not just watch your goal, but watch your attitude in the whole process as well. Because it's easy for us to, as Zig Ziglar would put it, talking about in, in the area of business, to have stinking thinking and start, and start thinking negatively. It's easy for us to, to look at the water and say the, the glass is half empty instead of saying it's half full. You can always look on the positive side of things rather than looking on the negative side of things. And so in keeping with that idea, Paul wrote, let us therefore, as many as are perfect, and he means complete here, and although you say, but nobody's perfect, yes you are. If you have the blood of Jesus Christ washing away your sins, you are the purest, most holy thing on this planet. You are just the most perfect thing imaginable with the blood of Jesus Christ continually wash, washing away your sins. So if you're one of those who are saved, you are perfect. So let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. And you know that's going to be Jesus always, that same standard of keeping ourselves focused on him. In 1 John, the fifth chapter, verse 13, John writes, These things I have written to you that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know you have eternal life? You see what a game changer that is? When you know you have eternal life, 
And you go back and you read through 1 John, you find out the main emphasis of the whole thing is that we trust in the blood of Jesus to wash away our sins rather than trusting in our own goodness. And when you know that Jesus Christ's blood is washing away your sins and you know that you're headed towards heaven, how in the world, no matter what happens to you, can your attitude be so negative that you're ready to just kind of throw in the towel on the Lord and throw the towel in on, on all, all the good people that you love? You won't do that. It matters that you, that you know that you're right with Him, that you have that kind of an attitude because that kind of attitude will keep you going when nothing else in the, in the world will, will. And that attitude, of course, has to be focused, focused on Jesus. You need to keep your eyes focused on Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of your faith. What kind of attitude did Jesus have? As we're focusing on Jesus now and the kind of attitude that he had, Jesus came meek and lowly. That's why he loved Moses so much, because God's meek and lowly. Isn't that amazing? The God of the universe with all power has not been corrupted by that power, but instead is meek and lowly. And so Jesus wants you to be meek and lowly, but guess what meek and lowly is not? It is not weak and lowly. In fact, it is quite the opposite. You want to know one of the primary words in the military that they use the word for meek? It was with concerning a horse. If you were talking, if you're talking about the Roman military 2,000 years ago, when you referred to a horse as being, and used that word of, of being humble, that horse was humble or meek, what that meant is that horse, if you wanted to ride that horse right into the middle of battle, if he finds himself being stabbed by a sword, if he finds himself being shot with an arrow, it doesn't matter what that horse does. He does not break and run. He will humble himself to whatever his owner wants him to do, to his master. Now, that's anything but weak. He does not run like some cowardly soldier, but that horse will just meekly do what he's supposed to do. That's what we're talking about here. That's what makes a winner is to be like Jesus. Jesus humbly took one footstep after another in the direction of the cross, knowing that it was not going to go well for him. But he did not cut and run. And so we need to be humble the way Jesus was humble, not some kind of made-up humble like, like Satan would have you have. Like I heard someone say one time, I'm too humble to, to do those things, you know, for the church. It's just the opposite. If you were humble, you would humble yourself to do those things. When God is calling you to do something through the Scripture and you prayed about it and, and, and the brethren want you to do something, don't say, I'm too humble to do that sort of thing. Humble yourself to do that because if the Lord believes you can, if the brethren believe you can, it's, it's just amazing what you might be able to do if you just put your life in the hands of the Lord and just humble yourself to the task. It may not be easy. Probably will not be easy. But that's what humility is all about. And that's what makes a winner rather than a loser. It's as simple as that. You've got to have, get rid of that stinking thinking, as Zig Ziglar would say in, in, the, uh, in the world of finance. And you've, got, you've, got to, you've got to have the, the attitude of a winner. The attitude of a winner is, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, I can do it if the Lord wants me to. The Lord tells me to do it. It's already done because he wouldn't tell me to do it unless I had the power to be able to do that. Watch your, 
watch your attitude. Watch your attitude if you're going to hit that tape for the Lord Jesus Christ at the end. It doesn't matter how you begin. It's how you end that matters. How you end the race of life. The last thing that we are told is to watch, that Paul says, is to watch your mentors with an S. Mentors. See if you don't agree with my change in this as I got studying it just this morning. Just this morning, that, that late. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those. I've underlined it back in the office in, in, my, in my own personal copy of this. Observe those who walk according to the pattern. Not the one, not as if you have one mentor that you're going to mentor after, but rather we mentor after each other. That's what we're doing here. We're in church. It's amazing what happens to people when they start going to church. They start going to church, and before it's over, they find themselves becoming more like people in the church. And even at that, Paul warns you, you can't become like everybody in the church. As Luther said, there's a church within the church. But anyway, brethren, just read it with me. Brethren, join in fellowship, or rather, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern. See, follow Paul's example. And observe those who are walking according to the pattern. Because there are people here who are walking according to the pattern. You have in us who's just following the same pattern I'm following, Paul says. For many walk of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. It's my responsibility as a preacher to warn you, and I, 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 I like to illustrate everything by pointing around the auditorium, so I can't do it now. But anyhow, by, but I should warn you, don't walk like that guy. That's what Paul did. He says, that's not the right way to walk. You know, you need to be walking the way the others are walking. And Paul, even with weeping, was saddened by the fact that there were some people there in Philippi who were not what they ought to be, that you could not follow in their footsteps. But Paul is saying, I want you, though, to pick out those people within the church that you can mentor after, long before I became a member of the church. Long before it. I mean, three or four years. There were people that I had discovered that went to the big church up on the hill. Church on the hill, we all called it, because that's where it was, on the highest hill around. And about half the town, or, you know, went, went to, to, or a good portion of the town went there. And I, of course, thought, oh, the hypocrisy. You know, that's the first thing you think when you're a kid, because you know it all. At any rate, uh, I got to pay attention to some of those guys. I knew the guy who drove my bus, who kicked me off the bus, by the way. He was right, and I was wrong. You know, he didn't kick me off for good, but just one time. I shouldn't have whacked that girl in the head. <laughs> she was a big girl, though. So, anyway. <laughs> How do I get myself off on these rabbit trails? But anyway. But we had all of these, I had all of these people that I knew of, not just the bus driver, Jaybird Lefevers. That's what his name, what we called him. His name wasn't really Jaybird, but that's all I've ever known him as. Finally became a deacon within that church. I knew the preacher. I knew where he lived because I delivered his paper. I knew all kinds of people, and I watched them like a hawk. And guess what I found out? They weren't perfect, but they were good people. I asked myself, would I run to their house if I was in trouble? The answer is yes, if I was in trouble, because that's just the kind of men that they were. And I mostly noticed the men because my father was kind of failing miserably in the, 
in that area as far as, as anything that looked like Christianity or, well, and anything sometimes. Seems like he wasn't getting anything right. You know, in his unfaithfulness to my mother and, and alcoholism and so on and so forth, it was a, a bad situation for me. But I watched these people like a hawk. I thought, are they just, just like Dad? Is that all they are? And I had him all the time pointing out how, what a hypocrite they always were. He, they was, that was always the story with Dad. Because he called them literally, I don't even know why I would share this, but I will. He called them good-feeling SOBs, except he did not say SOB. That was the kind of thing that, that went on in my household on a regular basis. So I watched them like a hawk. And I noticed the kind of mentors that they really were. And I finally got to the place where I would sit down with one deacon down at the shoe shop and just listen to his stories. And, and he would buy me a Coke. It was only a dime. He wanted people to come in and sit down. And I could tell what he was doing. He was talk, talking to people, trying to, trying to help. And he talked to me like I was a full-grown man and worthy of being listened to. Some of you guys, you need to be those kind of mentors, those kind of mentors. That kind of mentoring doesn't go on with just one person. It works better when the whole church is a mentor. And you, and you go in and, and young people start paying attention to the kind of people there are. And I was aware even at the time that some people were there. there was, it was too popular a situation. There were too many people going, going to church just because it was a popular thing. And so even as a kid, I could figure out, well, you don't mentor after those guys. These are the kind of people. Like Lindrell Barrett's daddy and mother. That's what the kind of man I want to be. I want to live like his dad. I want to aggravate my wife the way he always teased his wife. Am I doing a pretty good job so far, Don? Thank you. She says yes. He just teased her all the time. But it didn't take me any time at all to, to know that he loved that woman. That's all there was to it. And so when we f find ourselves, and I've already gone farther than I than I meant to in this, because, but like I said, this, this point kind of changed on me towards the very end that just this morning. Just read it again, and you'll see where, it, where I'm coming from. Brethren, join in following my example. He says, walk like I do, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Don't follow those bad guys. Follow my example and the pattern of those other people that you see. Now, Paul, of course, is meaning the same thing that Jesus talked about in other places of the Bible. We find a commandment, and that commandment is not binding by itself. you know that? Because if you've got a commandment to do any particular thing, and, you've got, and it says, for instance, uh, if it says pray, if you're commanded to pray, and you find out the Apostle Peter, when he prays, has this little Hindu wheel that he, that he turns around and lets that wheel blow in the air, and it's supposed to be praying for you. And, and, and Brother Saul over here, when he prays, he lights up incense and says, that's the incense talking, that's, that's that incense praying for me. And you've got somebody else who actually talks to God, then, you, then all three ways are okay. You can talk to God, you can put your little wheel going, or you can offer up incense, and all three are called prayer because of the examples, apostolic examples of what the apostles did. But you don't have that. You just have them praying one way, and always by the authority of Jesus. It's always Christ-focused. 
It always is. They never take their eyes off Jesus because that's what makes winners rather than, than losers. And so if you find a commandment in the Bible, an example, then you do exactly what you're told. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk in the footsteps of Paul because he's walking in the footsteps of Jesus and follow and mentor after all those other people who are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. I assume that's a part of the reason why you are here today. And so here we have the three things. All of them have to do with keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. But you've got to start out of those blocks the right way, don't you? You've got to begin the right way. Why do you de delay? It was what Paul was told. Why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on, on his name. That's the way to begin. We're always good at beginning, but, you know, it really matters, not just how we begin, but how we end. And so in the game of life, it's not just starting the race, but finishing the race that matters. Watch your goal, watch your attitude, watch your mentors. And more specifically, all three are Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. That's the only way that we'll make it to the other side, is to keep your eyes on Jesus. You have the same goal of being like Jesus. You want to have the same humble attitude as Jesus. You want to mentor after Jesus, so you are Christian, Christ-like, in everything that you do, in everything that you do. And the text ends with saying why we ought to do this. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform. Now, some of you have heard me talk since I've been here about how God's going to turn us into people just like God. The Bible says it all over the place. Here it is again. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he, is even, that he has even to subject all things to himself. We are going to become like him. Take yourself back to that society 2,000 years ago and say, how did this hit them? Someone says, oh, we're going to win the Olympics this year when it comes up in the fourth year in Athens. And the people at Flippi were saying, look how we've been doing this. The people at the, the Isthmian Games down in, 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 uh, in Corinth, they're saying, oh, we're better than all of those guys. We're going to be there. It goes back and forth. We're citizens of Corinth. We're going to lay a whooping on them this year kind of thing. You can imagine the kind of talk that would have been going on, bravado. Paul says, forget all that. Your citizenship is not of a country. What really matters is that you have a citizenship in heaven. We have a man who had been an elder for a long time within the church. He's not now. But one of his sayings, and this is what will be remembered at his funeral, and, and no, for, for certain, I'm sure. And he probably got it from, a, and doesn't even know it, probably got it from an old Loretta Lynn song years and years, years ago. Uh, but, but he would say, if you miss heaven, you've missed it all. I hope that sticks in your mind. Because that will keep you focused, not only in what, in what Paul is saying here in Philippians 3.12 through 21, that will make an eternal winner out of you. It is literally true. Believe it. It changes everything in the way you think and feel. If you miss heaven, you have missed it all. 